This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Welcome to Sunday Commentary, a weekly program designed to break open the Sunday Scripture readings. Join us as we listen to God's Word and seek to grow in our love and understanding for the good news in our lives. And now, Sunday Commentary with Kevin Doran and Carla Wehrman. Kevin, we, today is, or this weekend is Palm Sunday, and we're entering into a very holy week. And so for our commentary today, we are going to be reflecting on the seven last words. And I found a book by Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen called The Seven Last Words, and I kind of read through that and got some ideas. And what we mean by the seven last words is actually these are the sayings of Jesus on the cross. And they're sometimes called the seven last words from the cross. And they are actually seven expressions that there are biblically attributed to Jesus during his crucifixion. Traditionally, the brief sayings have been called words. That's where we get the seven last words. Exactly. And so what I'd like to do is at least recite them up front, and then we'll spend about a couple minutes reflecting on each one. Uh, The first word, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. The second word, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. The third word, woman, behold thy son. The fourth word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth word, I thirst. The sixth word, it is finished. And the seventh word, into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. And so let's start our commentary with a reflection on the first word. The first one is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus forgave those who tortured and murdered him on the basis that they did not understand the truth about who he was, that he was truly the Messiah. And even the, Ro- the Roman soldiers, many of them, you know, were pagans. And I would believe that they would likely have refused to take part in what they were doing if they fully understood the truth about who Jesus was. And so it was on that, those grounds, the grounds of their ignorance, that Jesus was able to forgive them. If we fully understood and appreciated how much God loves us, and how sin damages our relationship with God, most of us would never sin. But we don't, and so we do. And it's on the grounds of our ignorance that our sins are forgiven. Mm, Amen. The second word, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Uh, When you figure, you look back at that crucifixion story, and you remember there were two criminals that were hung there, um, one of them started rebuking Christ. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But yet the other criminal had a very different attitude. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingly power. And Christ responded, truly I say to you, 
today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, that repentant thief accepted and received the gift of salvation. But of course, that was done in a rather extraordinary way, wasn't it, Carla? <laughs> but we see that, you know, the normative path for salvation is a little different. We, of course, have that first sacrament, the sacrament of baptism. And the Lord himself affirms that in a normative way, baptism is necessary for salvation. And we see several scripture readings supporting that. Of course, John 3, 5 is the birth, uh, probably the best known, where Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We see other ones. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And Titus 3.5 is a beautiful response here with baptism. But the, when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And how beautiful that really is. And of course, the Catechism in uh, 1258 talks about what we see, the baptism of um, baptism of desire or baptism by blood. And remember also that uh, Martin Luther, the uh, founder of the Protestant Reformation, said this, baptism is no human plaything, but instituted by God himself. So even we see the leader of the Protestant Reformation tried baptism to salvation. I mean, Jesus Christ wants you to bring him your sins that they may be nailed to the cross, a death that he made not only for the world, but personally for you and me. And I love the little story um, that Jerome, in your book that you mentioned about Fulton J. Sheen, Jerome said this, he said, one day the blessed Lord appeared to him and said, Jerome, what will you give me? And Jerome answered, I'll give you one of my writings, to which the Lord replied, it's not enough. Then said Jerome, what shall I give you? My life of penance and mortification. But the answer was, even that is not enough. What have I left to give you, cried Jerome. And our blessed Lord answered, Jerome, you can give me your sins. How beautiful a story that is. Yes, it is. Okay, well, number three. Woman, behold thy son. Behold thy mother. Jesus loves us so much that with his dying breath, he gave to us his own beloved mother. He didn't ask her, so what do you think, Mary, or mother, or how do you feel? Because some 33 years earlier, she'd already given full consent with the words, Be it done unto me according to thy will. She was so fully committed to the will of God that had Jesus asked her to join him on the cross, she would have done so willingly. And in a very beautiful sense, she did. She bravely stood at the cross and experienced every bit of agony that her son experienced. And she does this with us also. When we feel lost, alone, or forsaken, we should turn to our Blessed Mother with the same confidence that Jesus had in her, that as the mother of the church, as our devoted mother, she will stand with us in our trials and our tribulations. Exactly. Word number four, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Uh, you know, looking through the, the lens of today, this might seem a bit unusual for Christ to utter, utter this to his father. <laughs> of, course, of course, God wouldn't forsake his son. So what was he really doing here? Uh, remember at the time of Christ, the Jews lived in what was called a high context society, meaning that one phrase would communicate a much greater meaning. They would say something in the opening phrase and you'd, you'd pull in your head a whole story of what that meant. Uh, of course, today we live in a low context society, which everything has to be spelled out. I mean, 
think about lawyers contracts these days <laughs> so but that's not the that's not the life that the lord lived in uh back at that time so, so what was jesus doing at that point when he said my god my god why hast thou forsaken me he was reciting the first line of psalm 22 it's a psalm of the righteous man dying for the unrighteous and if we follow that along in verses 16 through uh, 18 we see here these words in that Psalm 22. Yea, dogs are round about me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my raiment they cast lots. And of course, that is so prophetic on exactly the crucifixion that Jesus suffered for us, right? So that crucifixion directly fulfills that prophecy in Psalm 22. And, you know, looking at uh, today's world uh, that we live in now, you know, we may have this cry ourselves today. We see the evil, the manipulation of words, the power struggles, the, the anti-Christian attitudes, the tyranny that exists, you know, not only in the larger world, Carla, but in our very communities today. So Christ's crucifixion gives us an example on how to accept our mistreatments, our persecutions, by loving our persecutors. You know, Christ is in agony and in his agony was in a position of strength because he was preparing to conquer Satan, to conquer sin, to conquer death for us. So we must also be strong enough to accept our crosses, to seek justice, but also to remember to live for Christ so that we may also conquer sin and know that Christ is always with us. Yeah. The fifth word, I thirst Sacred scripture tells us that when the soldiers heard Jesus say, I thirst, they soaked a sponge in wine and lifted it to the lips of Jesus, and Jesus took the wine. Jesus didn't mean that he was thirsty for a drink, but that he was thirsting for souls. Everything he worked so hard to accomplish during his earthly life would culminate in his death on the cross. Jesus knew how close he was to fulfilling the Father's promise of redemption. And that was what he was thirsting for, the redemption of mankind. Yeah, exactly. And I want to kind of really tie that in here with the sixth word, which is, it is finished. These, these two, I think, are so closely intertwined because, you know, many people just kind of hear that and they just kind of go on with their lives. But have we ever asked ourselves, what is finished? <laughs> it is finished. What, what exactly is finished? And, and talking to some of our Protestant brothers and sisters, I, I get sometimes a similar answer that, well, of course, it's our, our redemption and salvation. But that doesn't quite make sense because Jesus had not yet risen, let alone died before he made that statement. So there's something going on much deeper than that. And, and I think that Scott Hahn has some wonderful insights when, it, when it's coming to seeing Christ's passion, death, and resurrection as the fulfillment of the true Passover and the institution of the Eucharist. And so this comes out of uh, one of Scott Hahn's books, and I want to go through briefly that Seder meal, that Passover, and we see first, there, the first cup is the cup of wine, and it, it talks about a solemn blessing, and that's then followed by a dish of bitter herbs, and it's meant to remind the Jews of the bitterness of the Egyptian bondage. The second uh, cup is the Passover narrative, and it was recited and sung, and then that was immediately followed by the drinking of the second cup. The third cup was when the main meal was served, consisting of the lamb and the unleavened bread, 
which preceded the drinking of the third cup or the cup of blessing. Then you have finally the climax of the Passover, which came uh, be, started with the singing of the great Hallel, and then the drinking of the fourth cup of wine, the cup of consummation. And this is really what you just picked up on, is that final cup, that cup of consummation that we see. Also, this is said in the context of the institution of the Last Supper and, of course, the institution of the Eucharist. So we see that the Passover has four cups, and this is embedded into the institution of the Last Supper and then how it comes to culmination with the, pas with the Passion of our Lord. Because remember, at our Lord's Supper, he says, you know, uh, he starts off, he took the bread and broke it and blessed it. This is my body. And he took the cup and he said, after you've given thanks, they all drank from it. He said, this is the blood of my covenant. And then he says, truly, I say to you, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God, which you alluded to uh, earlier, Carla. Again, so the cup, the third cup was the cup of the Eucharist. That was the cup of blessing. What we're missing here is the cup of consummation, the fourth cup. Because remember, they sang the Hillel and they went out to the Mount of Olives. They hadn't finished the Passover yet, had they? Well, then comes in the Passover and the Passion, the sixth hour, the traditional hour for the slaughter of the lambs during the Passover. At that time, we see in John 19, after this, Jesus knows that now all was finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he says, I thirst, which is what you were saying. A bowl full of vinegar stood there and they put a sponge full of the vinegar on hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That's the fourth cup. Jesus consummated that, that, that Passover, received that fourth cup. He is indeed the fulfillment of the Passover. The old covenant has been fulfilled and the new covenant has taken its place. What a beautiful tie that is to that term, it is finished. Yes, it certainly is. And finally, again, I think also when we get into then the last words of Christ, the seventh word, into thy hands I commend my spirit. This is, of course, something he said right after that fourth cup. And this comes out of Luke uh, chapter 23, verse 46. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathes his last. Now, of course, at that time, we saw the, the Holy of Holies curtain rip in two, we see the centurion who saw what had taken place said, certainly this man was innocent. And again, Christ fulfills so many scripture passages, part of, his, part of this passion, death, and resurrection. This father into thy hands I commend my spirit. This again, he quotes scripture this time from Psalm 31, verse 5. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. These are indeed the last of the last words of Christ. And this is a big deal. I mean, when you think about this, what will your last words on earth be? What will my last words on earth be? I certainly hope that it would be something profound. It would be something that would be a summary or some sort of final call on what you want to tell your loved ones. And what does Christ do here? I really think he points himself to the Father. He wants our entire lives pointed towards the Father in heaven. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And actually, Carla, as, as I was preparing this, there's something new as, as I was reading and preparing for this that really I never, it kind of struck me. I never really realized this. What he does at that point, 
is he throws himself into his father's arms and then does something very dramatic, which I think is often overlooked. He lets go. How beautiful that scene is when he commits, his hand, he commits himself, everything, into his father, and he lets go. And of course, I need to listen to this and take my own advice, Carla. <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> right? right. I need to. Love. It's a call for me, for everyone who wants to come to the Father, to commit yourself into the Father's hands and to let go. And as we end today, know that Christ is that true embodiment of unconditional love. He so desperately wants you to love him back. And like the story of the prodigal son, he will never stop searching for you. And in conclusion, may you indeed have a truly holy and happy Easter. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Commentary with Kevin Doran and Carla Wehrman, produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.